the Milky Way is our own galaxy, but there's a lot of other galaxies out there. And I've had a chance to study things very distant in the universe, really vast clusters of galaxies where there's thousands of galaxies dancing and spinning around one another. The scriptures say that the heavens declare the glory of God. And you feel that when you walk outside and look up at the stars. But as an astronomer, I get to see that when I look through a telescope or investigate these images that come through on my computer. Welcome to the Jesus Storybook Bible Podcast, a place where we remind you that grace can rewrite any story, that hope shines a light through our darkest moments, and that God's love changes lives. Here's your host, New York Times bestselling author, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Hello, I'm Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which tells the story of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Welcome to the show. Carl Sagan, the American astronomer, said this in 1994 when discussing the famous photograph, The Pale Blue Dot, taken by Voyager 1. He said, our planet is nothing more than, quote, a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam, end quote. The universe is unfathomably vast and human beings are microscopic in comparison. Here are some interesting ways to try to even get our heads around how tiny we are. Here's the first one. If we traveled at the speed of light, 671 million miles an hour, we would cross the Milky Way in 100,000 years. But we would only just have begun because the Milky Way is one of two trillion galaxies that we know of. Here's another way to put it. If Earth was a grain of sand, in comparison to the entire Sahara Desert, That's still nowhere near how tiny the Earth is in comparison to space. If the universe is that huge, if we are that microscopically teeny, surely we must be insignificant and unimportant. And if we are, then how could anything we are or do matter at all? Our guest today would answer with resounding, no, it does matter. Deb Hasmer is an astronomer, author, and speaker. She's an experienced research scientist with several publications. She studied large galaxies, galaxy clusters, the curvature of space, and the expansion of the universe using telescopes around the world and in orbit. I think you'll find that she has to say disarming, inspiring, and beautiful things. And I found what she had to say so moving. I'm sure you will too. She shares about the profound moment when her father changed how she thought about learning and faith, and her journey as an astronomer and a Christian, and how she came to see how science and faith can coexist. Her perspective is thought-provoking and moving. It reminded me of a favorite verse in the Psalms. I wrote about it in my book of short devotionals called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. Let me read it to you, it's called God's little finger. King David was marveling at God's universe. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? But David didn't say God made the universe with his arm or even his hand. He said, God, you made it with your fingers. The vast universe is so small to God that for him, it's like making a toy model with just his fingers. 
If the Milky Way galaxy were the size of North America, our solar system would be a coffee cup, and Earth would be a speck of dust inside the cup. The universe is tiny to God. What are human beings next to God? Nothing. And yet, God says, you fill his mind. So without further ado, please welcome my friend and now yours, Deb Harsma. My name is Deb Harsma and I am an astronomer and I'm also president of Biologos. I see these beautiful resonances, the way astronomy helps me better understand God and the way my faith helps me appreciate what I'm seeing out in the universe. So there are a lot of times where science and the Bible seem to be in tension. And I experienced this myself. I grew up in an evangelical church in the 70s and 80s, and it was a wonderful church. It wasn't political at all. I learned that Jesus loves me, and I learned to love Jesus, and I learned the scriptures. I was even encouraged in school studying science. That was great. But we did believe in our church that the earth and the whole universe was created in just six days. And in school, I started to learn about things like evolution and geological age. But I'd already heard in church that evolution is an atheist idea and not something I should be listening to. But here I was in public high school. What am I going to do? So I brought my biology textbook home and put it on the kitchen table there with my dad. We went back and forth. We considered different things we'd heard. And eventually he kind of sat back and said, I don't know. And I was like, wow, I can still remember how my shoulders like relaxed. And I went, it's okay to not know. I thought I had to have a black and white answer for everything. And here I was learning that somebody who had a mature Christian faith, who wasn't falling away from God or Christianity, might not know the answer to everything. And it was okay for me to not know the answer to everything. And that was just incredibly helpful. There's a lot of areas that we think about as Christians where Christians disagree and we need to be able to say, I don't know, and to listen to what other people are saying. But when we do that, we're not throwing away the core of our faith. We still believe the Bible is God's authoritative word. We believe that the universe is what God created. And we believe that Jesus died for our sins. But within all of that, there's still some room for discussion. And as I started pursuing astronomy more, I learned about evidence that it's actually millions and billions of years old. And so that left me in kind of a quandary. How am I going to understand these things alongside each other? And I was so blessed to come across readings by Christians working on these very questions. So astronomers who are Christians, geologists, biologists, who would explain the scientific evidence and also how they saw it fitting with their faith. But what really helped was reading Old Testament scholars. These are the experts who understand Hebrew and the ancient cultures and really helped me understand what Genesis 1 is really teaching. And in the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's beautiful how it brings out the main points of God's delight in everything that he's creating, declaring everything good, the incredible beauty and variety of everything God is creating, and how humans come as part of God's very good creation at the end. And it was just God's intention all along to create humans. So God can create things with just a snap of the fingers and just say, poof, there it is. But when you look out into space, 
what we actually discover through telescopes about God's creation is God actually chooses to do something different and take a very long time to create, say, a star. We see stars actually in the process of forming. So God is still creating, which is really amazing. And those stars God's still creating, we see them at every stage, and it looks like it takes millions of years for a star to form. This is a story that was written for people in a time and place that was a long time ago before they knew about modern science and before they knew about some of those things. But the main points of Genesis 1 are still true. God still spoke and these things came to be. It just took longer. And God's purposes were still accomplished, even if it took a much longer time period and if things happened in a different order than they're written out in Genesis 1. There isn't a lot of science in Genesis 1. God wasn't trying to explain to them how uh, that the earth is round or that the earth goes around the sun or any of our modern science things. Those just aren't in Genesis 1. And I eventually decided that if God wasn't trying to put science into Genesis 1, I shouldn't be trying to get science out of Genesis 1, but I should be learning these messages about who God is and his purpose in creation and the beauty of his creation, and especially that all things are good and that we can praise God and that we are made in God's image. So when I was starting to study astronomy and hearing how vast the universe is, I heard a lot of people saying things like, oh yeah, the universe is just so huge and humans are so small. We're just this tiny forgotten bit of the universe and not very significant. It took a while for me to really work that through and realize like, hey, that is completely wrong. <laughs> I read Psalm 103. It gets to a section where it says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, and you might think that the next line is going to be like it is in Isaiah 55. So are my ways higher than your ways? So huge is God, so small is humanity. But actually in Psalm 103, the next line is, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so vast is my love. So this is how great God's love is for humankind. And it's amazing whether you just look up at the stars at night or you look at the images from telescopes that you can find online, this incredibly vast universe, God says, yeah, look at that. That is how big you should think my love is. God's love is as vast as the universe. And then Psalm 103 goes on in the next line to say, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, that's as far as you can go in one direction or the other, as from one end of the universe to the other, as far as you can imagine. And God says, that is how far he has removed our transgressions. He's inviting us to picture our forgiven sins removed beyond the edge of the universe. Isn't that amazing? So when I consider the scriptures alongside what I see in the universe, I'm just overwhelmed by the depth of God's love and the incredible forgiveness he's willing to offer, no matter how often I sin and mess up and keep turning away, God is still willing to forgive. This is a passage from the Jesus Storybook Bible called The Beginning, A Perfect Home. In the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing to hear, nothing to feel, nothing to see, only emptiness and darkness and 
nothing but nothing. But God was there. And God had a wonderful plan. I'll take this emptiness, God said, and I'll fill it up. Out of the darkness, I'm going to make light. And out of the nothing, I'm going to make everything. Hello, stars, God said. Hello, sun. Hello, moon. And whizzing into the darkness came fiery globes spinning around and around, whirling orange and purple and golden planets. You're good, God said. And they were. But God saved the best for last. From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children, and the world would be their perfect home. When God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. God loved them with all of his heart, and they were lovely because he loved them. And they joined in the song of the stars and the streams and the wind in the trees, the wonderful song of the love to the one who made them. You can get the Jesus Storybook Bible wherever books are sold. To find out more about the book and all of Sally's other books, please visit Sally at sallylloyd-jones.com and follow her on Instagram at sallylloydjones and at Jesus underscore storybook underscore Bible. Before we go, don't forget, God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Oh, hello, it's me again, Sally. I'm just popping back briefly to say two things. The first thing is, don't forget to subscribe to the show because that way you'll get the stories straight to your phone. And the other thing is, while we're at it, would you rate the show and leave us a review? That would be so great because it helps other people find the show too. I really appreciate your help. Thank you.